Malachi chapter 3. On Friday, uh, during my dad's funeral, my sister uh, composed a eulogy with all of our input, and she made this statement to us siblings. She said, uh, I'm going to follow Dad. Dad, as a deacon, would, would do homilies during the Mass. And she said, I'm going to follow Dad's pattern and keep, keep it down to just five or six minutes. And, uh, and she did, and, and Dad, when he would do homilies, you know, they're like short six-minute things. And when I heard that, I started thinking, wow, you know. And, and when, uh, during the viewing, when so many people were praising my dad for a smile, and they loved him for his short sermons, you know. And I started thinking, wow, man, my, my sermons are like 40, 45 minutes long. I'm thinking, you know. Uh, and I was talking to Benjamin the other day. It was the first time he was ever at a Catholic service, and he was marveling because he's so used to doing things here. And uh, he, was, he was, you know, he was glad he went. He was amazed. Um, you know, they spent less time in the Scriptures and more time, you know, doing their, their, their Mass and their ceremony and all. And, um, and I just, so, so to comfort myself, I remembered when Paul preached. There was a guy sitting in the window. Remember that guy? <laughs> and, he, and he preached so long that he fell out of the window. So my goal is to go somewhere from six minutes to the guy falling out of the window. And, you know, I, I, I want to focus, we want to, you know, my job is to feed the flock. I realize that. And I can't do that in six minutes, folks. Uh, you know, but so I appreciate that nobody, you all don't get up and walk out after ten minutes. That's a big blessing. But I will keep conscious of the time. So Jeremiah chapter three, uh, beginning of verse eleven. We're looking at verses eleven through fifteen. The theme, as you know, is repent or turn. The, uh, the Hebrew word that's translated turn, return, is used over and over again through this text, especially the portions that we've been going over recently. And uh, last, uh, the last time, uh, two, two Sundays ago or three Sundays ago, um, God was speaking uh, to Jeremiah about uh, two sisters backsliding Israel, which was the northern kingdom, which had, you know, about 100 years before had already gone into captivity or exile. So backsliding Israel and treacherous or faithless Judah. So those are the two sisters. And in our text tonight, God challenges Jeremiah to speak to the northern tribe, Israel, which was already scattered throughout. You know, they had already, the, the Assyrians had come in, they were already in captivity, uh, and, and Judah, the southern tribe, they were getting ready to experience the same thing. But now Jeremiah, specifically tonight, verses 11 through 15, he's challenging first Jeremiah to speak to the northern tribes. They're scattered abroad, and he's still giving them a chance to repent. So look at Jeremiah chapter 3, verse 11. We'll go through this, and I and, um, want you to focus. There's one, one key word that jumped out at me in this text, that the more I studied it, the more I called on it, it, it just it made me realize how awesome God is. And it's the, it's the, word in, the first word in verse 13, only. Only acknowledge thine iniquity. That's, it's like God saying, listen, this is all I want you to do. You know, many of you that have had kids know, especially when they're younger, uh, sometimes kids can blow things out of proportion and, and, and act like you are asking them to do the total impossible. You know, clean your room. Oh, and, and I've noticed that when our kids are especially tired, um, any little task we give them may seem like 
an insurmountable thing. And, and as a parent, you're like, all I'm asking you to do is this little thing. It's not too much. And God is, tonight, he's, he's saying, only, only acknowledge thine iniquity. It's like God's saying, that's all I want you to do. I am long-suffering, I'm merciful. And I'm just, I just want you to acknowledge that you've gone away from me. That's all, and I'm ready to take you back. So the title of the message tonight is, Only Acknowledge Thine Iniquity. So look at verse 11, we'll work through this. It says, And the Lord said unto me, that's Jeremiah, The backsliding Israel, remember we're still talking about the sisters here from the previous verses, The backsliding Israel hath justified herself more than the treacherous Judah. So we've got the two sisters, backsliding Israel, or apostate is, is the word that in the, um, the Greek translation of the Old Testament, that's what's used, it's what's used in the New Testament, uh, apostate, so backsliding or apostate Israel hath justified herself more than treacherous Judah. Now what does that mean? That back, so now we're talking about the northern kingdom, Israel. What does he mean they have justified themselves or herself more than treacherous Judah. Now, there's two ways you could look at it. At least when I read through it, uh, the first impression you could get could be the idea that, um, that backsliding Israel is making more excuses than treacherous Judah. And the idea, you know, that they're, they're justifying themselves. Like they're saying, you know, we have, they're giving more excuses. But that's not the way it's used. Literally, they are talking about legitimately justifying. In other words, God is saying, uh, as bad as the northern kingdom was, as bad as backsliding Israel was, they are more right. You know, they can justify themselves more than you can, Judah. Um, and so, why is that? Well, let's back up for a minute. I want to remind you um, that we're talking about two nations: the northern and the southern kingdoms, or the southern tribes. Judah, Jeremiah is primarily focusing on Judah because they have not yet gone into Babylonian exile. Uh, He's going to even mention down the road in this book, God's already lining up the king, Nebuchadnezzar, uh, the nation, Babylon, to come and and be his punishment. But here he is, giving him time to repent. And and so why 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 does God say that, that backsliding Israel has justified herself more than treacherous Judah. How can you say that? The northern kingdom was was corrupt. They were idol worshipers. They were guilty of the same thing that the southern kingdom is presently doing that's going to be getting them into trouble. So what's he say by that? What's he mean by that? The backsliding Israel had justified herself more than treacherous Judah. And there are several reasons why when you compare these two um, falling from the Lord, nations that God had entered into a covenant relationship with. Uh, there's several reasons why Judah is worse and Judah is more responsible. Number one, uh, they had the example of Israel to learn from. You know, they've got just before them that you know this was their their sister nation, Israel, and they saw literally Israel adopted the the pagan idolatry of of the Canaanites and God warned them and they did not repent and look what happened to them. They're now being judged. 
present tense. So every day uh, that Judah lives in their homeland, they know that most of the Jews in Israel are now in captivity. They have that as an example. Israel didn't have that. They were the first ones to experience. By the way, remember what Paul said in Romans? What things were written aforetime, that's in the Old Testament in history, were written for our learning. That we through patience, and the idea of that text is patience of the Scriptures and comfort of the Scriptures might have hope. And so, you know, think about it. Judah had the example of Israel. We have the entire Old Testament as our example. We have not just Israel, but we also have Judah and we have Moses and Joseph and Gideon. I mean, we have all the, the entire wealth of the Old Testament. I was reminded recently, talking with my daughter, um, somebody brought this out to her, and it, and it was a good point. You know, that the early church, the first century church, second century church, because we were talking about devotions, you know, doing your daily devotions and reading your Bible. She brought out, she heard someone say that first century church, they didn't have their own copies of the Bible. They didn't even have, like, you know, most of them, Paul talked about getting a scroll or two, but, you know, they had to go to the synagogue or the temple to hear the scriptures read. And so, you know, this whole idea of me doing my morning devotions where I spend time in God's word, that wasn't something that believers in, in ages past could do. Now, they had their prayer times. They had time where they could go before the Lord. But you think about what a rich resource we have. You and I... We don't have to get out to the temple and grab all the scrolls and say, I'm going to go home and do my devotions now. We just open up all in one little book. Most of yours isn't even this big, you know, but we, think about it. We have a whole copy of the scriptures that they didn't have before. You know, our quiet time with God is whole, way different than centuries past because they didn't have what we had. Oh, we take that for granted, don't we? I, I, I never thought of that. She's telling me that. I'm like, you're right. You're right. So shame on us who all have an entire copy of the, you know, contained all of the Revelation, Genesis to Exodus, Genesis, Exodus, the whole Bible from Genesis to Exodus, Genesis to Revelation. I do know my Bible. We have it all. And we can just get it out anytime. And, and we can do morning devotions. Again, I imagine walking the streets of gold and some Old Testament saint or first century saint coming up. And, uh, and you say to them, well, you know, tell me what your morning devotions are like. Well, well, we prayed. And it's like, you mean you didn't read your Bible? They'll be like, what are you talking about? And then they find out that we had copies, multiple copies, of all the scrolls of the writings of Scripture at our fingertips. And we didn't take advantage of it. <laughs> anyway, so, so, so we have this, you know, we've got these two nations. And... Uh, in 586, actually 586 is a traditional time, and it's kind of the official time that uh, they went into captivity. Uh, but really, it started earlier um, with, you know, there were kind of, there was actually several deportations as, as far as the um, exile or the captivity. Uh, 586 is the one that happened um, actually later, 722. Uh, I always got to remember that the 722 B.C. is earlier than 586 B.C. And so 722 was when Judah went into captivity. I believe that was it. 
And, um, and now God's getting ready to, to judge Judah. And so he, he talks to Jeremiah and he says, listen, backsliding Israel, the, the northern tribes, the ones that have already, they're experiencing judgment now, has justified herself more than treacherous Judah. Uh, number one, I mentioned this one, she had the example of Israel to learn from. Um, number two, Judah was closer to the temple and the center of, of worship than Israel was. Number three, Judah had better and more spiritual kings than Israel did. You ever see the list of kings of Judah and then Israel? Uh, and, and Israel was, was a sorry lot. Whereas Judah had, uh, had more spiritual kings. And uh, Judah's problem, in fact, we looked at this last time a little bit, Judah's problem was uh, treachery and the pretense of repentance. Whereas Israel was more honest in their sins. That's the way it was worded by uh, one of the expositors bringing out some of the things, the terms that are used. So Judah's problem was treachery and the pretense of repentance. Israel was more honest in their sins. And again, what's the call here? Only acknowledge thine iniquity. It's like, it's like Jeremiah is saying, like God is saying to Judah, hey, at least Israel was honest. I want you to be honest and just acknowledge that you have walked away from me. And then we go to the next verse, verse 12. Go and proclaim these words toward the north. So remember, we're talking about Israel. And say, return thou backsliding Israel. So this is an appeal to all those people scattered abroad uh, from the captivity, and there were still some in Israel. Not everybody was forced to leave. There, there were a small remnant that was still in the land. And this is a challenge to all of them. Return thou backsliding Israel, saith the Lord, and I will not cause my anger to fall upon you, for I am merciful, saith the Lord, and I will not keep, keep anger forever. So return Thou backsliding Israel. It's interesting, when you, that phrase, return and backsliding Israel in the Hebrew has a little more of a punch and a play on words. It's like he is saying, slide back to me, backslider, uh, because there's similarity in these terms. So, he, so he's challenging them, you know, slide back to me, you backslider. And, and um, what an amazing thing that our God is so willing to take someone back. Uh, you know that God doesn't make light of sin. But yet again, he says, For I will not cause mine anger to fall upon you, for I am merciful. Those are beautiful words. I am merciful, saith the Lord, and I will not keep anger forever. I read the testimony of a, a, a lady recently named Stacy, who um, was in a really, I'm just going to read from the testimony of the, the person that led Stacy to the Lord. She was in a relationship with another woman, lived the party life, and spent her spare time advocating the LGBT community. Her partner's mother was a Christian who regularly invited her daughter and Stacy to church. When they occasionally attended, Stacy tried hard to distort the scriptures to appease her conscience, but it would never work. Of course it wouldn't work. That's what Israel did. One night, her partner's mom tearfully and lovingly confronted her with the truth of God's judgment. She said, Imagine yourself standing before God, the King of kings and Lord of lords. What are you going to say when he asks, 
What did you do with my word? Convicted, Stacy prayed to her creator in repentance and asked, and, and the Lord answered her. Despite the fear, rejection, and loss of relationship with her partner and the uncertainty she faced by walking away from the LGBT community, she repented of her sins and was saved. And she says this, I didn't know what the future held, but I knew it would be worth it if I had Christ. I love, I, love, I think of Ted Long two weeks ago uh, saying this. Uh, hope I get it right. Uh, he said, for whatever problem Satan throws at you, and then he paused, and then he said, for this we have Jesus. I paused that. I was doing uh, the elliptical when I, I heard that, which I need to do more of. But I'm sitting there on the elliptical, and I just paused it, and I said, I need to hear that again. I rewound it. And, uh, you know, whatever Satan throws our way, for this we have Jesus. And so she said, and, and that's why I love this. She said, I didn't know what the future held, but I knew it would be worth it if I had Christ. Stacy is now a faithful member of a gospel-centered, Bible-preaching church, actively serves on the evangelism team, passing out tracts, sharing her testimony, and lovingly preach the gospel. And listen to what she said now. She said, people say it's hard to talk about the gospel with the people in the LGBT community. But when you bring up the law and talk about homosexuality along with lying and stealing, they see that it's an even playing field. Now, this, this is important. So here's a girl that got saved. She heard the, the, you know, the law that she'd spurned. The law is a schoolmaster bring us to, to, to faith. And so she, she learned that if you tell a lie, you're a liar. You've broken the commandments. If you lost all those things. And again, she said, when you bring up the law and talk about homosexuality with lying and stealing, they see that it's an even playing field. They need to see that Christians see ourselves as equals. We've all sinned against God. Amen to that. Before coming to Christ, Stacy would have been one of the last people who would, you would imagine handing out tracts and evangelizing the lost. Praise the Lord. But... When you and I have Christ, God is merciful. And Israel didn't even know the name Jesus Christ, but he pled with them. He said, I am merciful. I will not keep my anger forever. Just acknowledge your, acknowledge your transgressions. That's all I want you to do. I've told you this story before, but I, I've seen recently so many of my childhood friends. Um, one of them's name was Todd. And, and Todd, Michael, and I were like the best of buddies when we first moved into our home and I remember we got, friends get into spats. Todd was bigger than me at the time. And I remember we got into a fight and he sat on me. And it's the first time he said something that I would hear later. Say uncle. And I didn't know if he was asking me who my uncle was. Because I'd never heard that before. Say uncle. Do you ever, what's he mean? Uncle Bob? Uncle Paul? <laughs> what do you mean? No, say uncle. And, and I, so I finally said uncle so I could get him off of me. And then I found out that that's, a, that's something you say to show that you have surrendered. And it's like, that's all God's doing. It's like he's saying, say uncle. Would you only acknowledge your transgressions? Just, I just want you to say uncle. I just want you to say that you've done wrong. Some people can't do that, can they? Some people can't. They just cannot bring themselves to say that they were wrong. Verse 13, again now. Only 
Acknowledge thine iniquity, that thou hast transgressed against the Lord thy God, and hast scattered thy ways to the strangers under every green tree. If you have not obeyed my voice. Now remember, they were just they were justifying themselves. And remember earlier, that they were like, we have not done anything wrong. Remember we had uh, that revival under that previous king, and you know we got rid of all the, the, the statues, and you know, we're still kind of following the Lord pretty much externally. But they were not. He says, and you've not obeyed my voice, saith the Lord. Uh, Charles Spurgeon, apparently, he pastored a church of thousands. And as a pastor, he said, I don't know whether I'm a backslider or whether I've been a hypocrite up till now. Um, or, or, or he says, alas, says one, somebody said this apparently, I don't know whether I'm a backslider or whether I've been a hypocrite up till now. He says, do not argue that question at all. He said, I am constantly asked to decide for people whether they ever were true Christians or were in error about their condition. It is a difficult inquiry and of small practical value. And so, and because I know what that's like. Sometimes you get someone that's struggling and they want you to tell them and assure them that they're saved. You know, they, they've struggled, they made professions, and they're constantly backsliding. And so they're like, Pastor, do you think I'm saved? <laughs> you know. Well, let me look at your heart, because I, I don't know. You know, I can't see someone's heart. I, I mean, I see, and by the way, then someone else shared this. You know, when, when someone's not saved, they don't struggle with sin. They don't. If, if you're not saved, saved people don't struggle with sin. They give into it. You know, there's no battle. There's no remorse. There's no, you know, guilt. And, and you know, they don't have that battle, but... As Spurgeon would say, and that was a comfort to me, that he would get a lot of people that come up and say, you know, would you tell me whether I'm a Christian or not? And he says, interesting that he said that um, that's of small practical value. In other words, it's like God is saying to Israel, would you just repent? Would you just acknowledge that you've done wrong? Just come back to me is the challenge. There was a practice the Romans had which is, is so horrific uh, when you think about it. Uh, but it's actually been um, commemorated or just, you know, going down in history through a, uh, a poem by Virgil. But the Romans would sometimes compel a, a captive, a prisoner, depending on what they did, to, to be joined face to face with a dead body. And to bear it about until the horrible toxic odor literally took the life of the, of the one that it was attached to. And Virgil describes this cruel punishment, and I'll quote his, his poem. The living and the dead at his command were coupled face to face and hand to hand till choked with stench and loathed embraces tied, the lingering wretches pined away and died. You know, without Jesus Christ, we are shackled to a dead corpse, our sin. But with Jesus Christ, you, you and I have been made free. What a blessing that you and I have been freed from Christ. Sometime within the last year or two or three, um, I was going through my, some correspondence and I came across some letters from uh, Sarah Cochiardi's son, Joe. And it reminded me, I haven't t thought of this in a while, 
Uh, and the letters were so precious. And it reminded me of a time many, many years ago. Sarah, some of you don't know Sarah. She was part of our church for so, so long and, and passed away of cancer. And she had two sons. She has actually a daughter and two sons. But her two sons were coming to Bible Baptist when we were in the other building. And uh, both of them got saved. Both of them got baptized together. And I remember I'd call them the dynamic duo. And uh, they were a blessing to me. And uh, Joe fell away, uh, got, went back to his old, old life for a while. And then he came back to church. And uh, I was preaching on Zac- Zacchaeus. He's the wee little man, right? Zacchaeus is a wee little man. And uh, just talking about the need to, to, to make things right. Zacchaeus, as you know, had wronged many people. And uh, when Jesus came, one of the signs of his genuine repentance uh, was his willingness to restore uh, what he had defrauded others as a tax collector. And, and what a great, precious sign that, that there's been new life in someone. And so I, I remember preaching that. I remember Joe coming up to me after. And uh, he had, during his time away from the Lord, so he is a believer. He was born again. But he had gone back into his old ways. And influenced by peers, one night, drunken party, uh, they went and um, I think they they vandalized some cars and they they stole uh, a really nice car. I forget the details of that. They went joyriding and and eventually I think maybe totaled the car and they got away with it, at least from the human authorities. But... Joe didn't get away with it because on that day God convicted him that he needed to make that right. And that was a very, very major, difficult decision because it meant he'd have to admit what he did, face legal consequences, and there were, I think, two other guys that were involved. And that was not easy. Uh, I remember where it happened. Joe couldn't remember. His brain was foggy about that night. But it was somewhere near Chad's Ford, and my dear friend Dave Natale was pastoring there. And uh, in fact, he had a police officer in his, in his congregation. So we went and sat in Pastor Natale's office. I'll never forget that. It was a very special time to me when somebody does business with God and wants to make things right. And I remember being there that day. Pastor Natale called uh, his police friend. And, and Joe began the process, a very long process, a very expensive, difficult process of getting things right. And he finally paid off the debt, or his part. He got right. He did right. And I believe God was glorified. He acknowledged his transgression. It would have been so easy for him to excuse that, like, I'm not going to do that. Are you kidding me? Uh, Then I'd have to rat on my friends, and then I'd have to pay money, and, and it would just bring too much grief. And there's a lot of people that don't do that. God bless them. God bless him for doing that. But Israel, they weren't going to come clean. And that's all he wanted. That's all he wanted was to acknowledge. Uh, turn, O oh, backsliding children. And then finally we come to this last part. Um, actually, look at verse 14. Turn, O oh, backsliding children, saith the Lord. Slide back, O oh, backsliders, the idea. For I am married unto you. Remember? Now, he had already talked about giving them a bill of divorcement. And yet he says, And I will take you, one of a city and two of a family, and I will bring you to Zion. He's saying, I know. You know, we had a covenant relationship. 
And I gave, I wrote you a bill of divorcement legally. But he's saying, if you will just repent and turn back to me, I will take you back. Uh, he, and now, and by the way, look at verse 14. Because now he's not just addressing Israel, but he's addressing children. He's addressing both sisters, Judah and Israel. You know, backsliding Judah, uh, or excuse me, backsliding Israel, treacherous Judah. He's now challenging them. He speaks to both sisters. Jeremiah 3.7, by the way, is when he re- refers to them as being sisters. And he invites them uh, to return. And the phrasing that's used here, the terminology in this verse, verse 14, turn, O backsliding children, I am married unto you, I will take you. Uh, there is such warmth in the wording of these uh, of this term. This is this is this this whole appeal is not some careless mechanical uh, you know follow this point this point and this point and I'll take you back. This is this was God pouring out His heart with warmth and compassion and to tie it in with this morning's message when we think of of Jesus or or God uh, wrestling with Joseph or Jacob excuse me. God pursuing His wayward people. That's what God does. He pursues His wayward people. Hebrews 12 is the New Testament version of what's happening here. Where God follows after, God chases down the backsliding one. He, He who the Lord loves, He rebukes and chastens every son whom He receiveth. Now a lot of people look at Hebrews 12 as, you know, the shame passage. Like, you know, if you step away from the Lord, He's going to make your life miserable. And I've had so many people that have experienced that. But I want you to realize that this is not, this is God pursuing you. You know, when, when a genuine born-again believer is away from the Lord, and by the way, I want to encourage you, I think of so many people that grew up in our church that seem to make genuine professions. Folks, if they are God's children, He's going to pursue them. And He does. He does. He pursues those. And I've known people that have made professions and then grew nothing for years and then finally came to the Lord. And, and, and it's clear that they were probably saved. And so God pursues His own. God pursues those who He loves. What a blessing. What an honor that is. I will take you one from a city and two from a family. I'll bring you to Zion. God promised restoration, reparation, uh, really, of the remnant. It reminds me of when David sinned. This is all God wanted for Israel and Judah. Remember when David sinned in Psalm 51 and verse 4, when he finally came clean uh, from committing adultery and then having Uriah killed? He said, against thee... Thee only have I sinned and done this evil in thy sight, that thou mightest be justified when thou speakest and be clear when thou judgest. That's, that's David um, coming clean. It's David uh, saying uncle. You know, it's David returning to the Lord. And he, all he wants him to do is acknowledge his transgression. And then verse 15, we close. And I will give you pastors according to mine heart, which shall feed you with knowledge and understanding. 
God is now painting a picture. And by the way, he would do this in Jeremiah. We have the new covenant down the road where God, uh, you know, right now it's all doom and gloom because God's trying to get the people of Judah to repent. And we've got the Babylonian captivity still ahead of us because they would not repent. But then after we get through all that, we're going to be talking about the new covenant where God presents the hope of Israel. And, um, and this is what he's doing here. He's, he's, he's telling them, listen, all, I only want you to acknowledge your transgression. And if you do, I will give you pastors according to my heart. Now, this is not the New Testament pastor, bishop, elder, uh, the ministry of the New Testament local church. The idea of this, the word pastor means shepherd. And he is telling Israel that I will give you leaders like sheep, shepherds. I will give you leaders, shepherds, who will feed you with knowledge and understanding. A couple things about this verse, verse 15, that we need to keep in mind about the kind of leaders that God will bless his obedient people with. Number one that they would be given to these people by God. Notice he says, I will give you. Uh, this is not by human ambition or you know, self-appointed uh, shepherds or leaders. Uh, God says, I will give you these people. And, and to this day, some leaders are put in place, all leaders are put in place by God, but he will give us good leaders. Uh, when you and I are rebelling and when a nation rebels, uh, he will give them not good leaders, but bad leaders. We need to keep that in mind, don't we? So they are given to the people of God. He says, I will give you uh, for their care and for their service. God says, I'm going to give you leaders that are going to feed you, that are going to genuinely care about you. And Jesus talked about that. Remember, the hireling versus the shepherd. And God is telling Israel, I'm going to give you leaders that really care about you. They're not just in it for what they can get, the hireling. Um, they would be shepherds that would care for the flock. They'd be according to God's heart in a way that would truly lead and serve the people. Uh, they would feed God's people with knowledge, and they would feed God's people with understanding. You know, we have such an awesome God who is so merciful to us. And to the person that is backslidden, slide back, God is saying. Uh, but what an amazing thing that our God, with love and compassion, is, is not so hooked or so stumbling over our offense. So many people, when God begins to convict them, true children of God, they're so aware of their own unworthiness that they almost use that to say, what's the use? I think of a verse. The Bible says, the goodness of God leadeth thee to repentance. Some years back, a, an angry man rushed into a museum in Amsterdam. It's a famous museum that I can't pronounce the name. Uh, but he just barged in, very angry, and he stopped through the museum right up to a famous painting by Rembrandt called Night Watch. And he took out his knife and he just began to slash it repeatedly before he could be stopped. Not long after that, a different, distraught, hostile man slipped into St. Peter's Cathedral in Rome and with a hammer began to smash Michelangelo's beautiful sculpture, the Pieta. 
One writer writes, Two cherished works of art were severely damaged. What did officials do? Throw them out and forget about them? Absolutely not. Using the best experts who worked with the utmost care and precision, they made every effort to restore the treasures. And you know what? God treats His own with that same care and affection. God does not say, what's the use? I'm going to throw them out. And so no matter what you have done, no matter what, how you have failed the Lord, no matter how displeasing you have been, God is not going to throw you out. And if it, all, all He is asking, all He was asking Israel and Judah was, only acknowledge your transgressions. And that's all we have to do. And we have every reason to do it. Let's pray. Our God in heaven, we thank you for your word. And I pray that you would help us and help those that are listening and anyone that might come across this that is not walking with you, probably someone not in this building right now, somebody that's um, maybe not been to church in years. And they've come upon this sermon. And I pray, Father, that you would get hold of their heart. And uh, maybe they've been beating themselves up. And while we do need to repent, Lord, we need to realize that you are a merciful God. And that your goodness is what leads us to repentance. If you were so holy, and only holy, and only just, uh, we would not stand a chance. But you have not dealt with us according to our transgressions. You have been merciful. And so, Father, I pray that you would compel uh, even maybe children that are now adults, that grew up in this church, Lord, compel them to come back to you. And may they see this picture, not of an angry God that's been waiting to punish them. Maybe they've been struggling in their life because you have been pursuing them. You've been wrestling with them. But Father, I pray that they would see that it is because of your love and affection for them and that they would return to you. Lord, we ask your blessing. Thank you for being such an awesome God. Keep us in your tender care. We pray in Jesus' precious name. Amen. All right, let's take our hymn books out.